Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today I am joined by Shona. Welcome, Shona. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> now this is our third time recording and, you know, sometimes the first time um, we we didn't really like how it ended up. Our discussion, um, it was really good, but I think we had a discussion afterwards and one of the things I really pride myself on with this platform is making sure that people who come on are really happy with the final product. So we decided to sit down and talk again and then we had some technical issues. <laughs> so we are here. <laughs> Hopefully for the third and final time, but thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's definitely been a mission, but we're going to get there. (laughs) We will absolutely get there. Um, And some of you might actually already know Shona, uh, if you've seen any of the promo work that I did for the lived experience or bringing lived experience into the spotlight event recently in Sydney, Shona was actually one of our panelists. Yes, it was amazing. It was such a great event and I was so, so honoured to be invited on. I was just so appreciative and it was, it was amazing. You did such a good job. Thank you so much. (laughs) It was really fun as well. I think just getting a heap of people with a similar mindset um, and similar experiences into a room is really powerful. Um, It felt like we'd all been, I think, a little bit supercharged. Nobody could really sleep that night afterwards. (laughs) I got a lot of messages saying I'm absolutely buzzing. So yeah, it's a, it's something that we're definitely going to have to bring back again. But thank you so much for coming onto that platform and sharing some of your lived experience in in front of people. Yeah, of course. No, I yeah, I had a great time and it was good practice. <laughs> Absolutely. But do you mind sharing a little bit about who you are, Shona, as well? I guess who you are, where you're from, all of those wonderful things. Sure. Um. So yeah, my name is Shona. Um, I am a mom, I'm working, I run my own crochet business 
and um, I'm studying again, which has been a challenge. <laughs> um, I'm currently living in Newcastle. I've been here for about four years now. Um, before that, I was living in a small town in, in and around Grafton. Um, and yeah, I am a childhood survivor of family violence and child sexual abuse, um, which was perpetrated by my father. Um, but in general, I usually, usually refer to him as idiot or fuckhead because I don't really feel like he deserves the title of father. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's my little rundown. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's so true. It is so true as well. And so many people that have come onto the podcast share that sentiment that they don't deserve the titles that we've given them before. So we give them new ones. And I love that. Fuckhead, dickweed, anything that you can come up with. It doesn't even have to have swearing in it. Whatever you feel, see fit. You know, I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. It's a part of taking back that power again, I think as well, because it's just so wonderful to be able to just be like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, there was lots of uh, little moments throughout the court process that I went through that kind of donned him the title of idiot, but we can get into that a bit later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I guess jumping into it um, for a little bit of a backstory, uh, he did suffer from mental health issues. Uh, he told me that he was diagnosed with manic depression, which I think is called bipolar now. Um, he had drug and alcohol abuse issues and an intermittent gambling addiction that affected the family at various times. But in general, he was just your textbook narcissist. Um, you know, looking back on the situation now and, you know, with all the knowledge that I have now, I can tell that the abuse was very cyclical and, like, I can see that very clear cycle happening um and you know it would happen over sometimes over long periods of times over you know weeks or months or sometimes the whole thing would happen in a day and you know you just never knew how it was going to go you were always walking on eggshells you know his behavior was really erratic and yeah from a very young age I kind of learned to hyper monitor every situation and every kind of micro expression and just analyzing the situation and waiting for the next blow up to happen. And if there was any kind of way that I could try and prevent it, then I would be on the lookout to be like, oh, is this going to set him off? How can I kind of fix that? Um, but, you know, sometimes things would just happen and you wouldn't know that it was going to trigger him. Like he might be upset by your tone of voice or, you know, your face, facial expression wasn't right and you know that would set him off so you know you just never really knew a hundred percent when things were gonna when shit was gonna hit the fan basically um so you know that was really challenging but at the same time I also didn't realize that it wasn't normal for your parent to behave like that until I got a bit older and I started having sleepovers at friend's house and I'm you know, sitting there at the dinner table with their entire family, I'm going, hang on, like, why is everyone being so nice to each other? <laughs> and why is their dad not throwing shit across the room? Um, so, yeah, it was my normal up until I started pretty much, you know, 
end of primary school, I think roughly, when I started to kind of be like, hold on, like, I don't think this is actually normal. And, you know, even though I knew it didn't feel right and, you know, it was scary and unpredictable, like that was just how life was. When you say um, as well, like that it was quite cyclical, what do you mean by that? So it was very, like you can see there was the um, the tension, the build up, the blow up, and then the period of like trying to make up and then the honeymoon period, like that whole kind of cycle happening. Um, and yeah, like I said, it could happen all within one day or sometimes it would happen over a period of time. And it did kind of change um, a lot throughout the years. Um, But yeah, that's what I mean, like to do with specifically the cycle of abuse. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's important for people to hear that because as well, it's something that's not often seen as a part of the abuse is the cycle, I feel. So it is the only the blow up that is seen as the issue, but it is the tension rising and the feeling of being on eggshells and not being able to live comfortably, having to micromanage everything and try and micromanage the offender to try and stop them from blowing up. And then the blow up happens no matter what. And then you've got this idiot, which we will refer to him as, (laughs) um, constantly, you know, whether the the apology is a non-apology or a real apology and then it's kind of the cycle starts again. Yeah. I think it's important that we educate ourselves as well on the whole cycle there because Often, especially around when we're around children, I don't think that people who are in care of children or adults around them often see the signs because we only consider something that is important to blow up and we only consider something like a physical injury to be the issue or the danger here. But it it is incredibly harmful, especially to happen on a consistent and daily basis. Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely important to recognize that, you know, the good period afterwards is part of it as well. That's just their way of kind of roping everyone back in and, you know, being able to get that control back because, yeah, you know, after you have a blow up, obviously people are going to try and pull back a little bit. And yeah, that's all part of, you know, getting people back on their side and getting that control back. So yeah, I think it is really important that people know all the stages of the cycle and know that, you know, just because it's good now doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Part of that, um, I guess, culture that was getting built within the family was, um, yeah, keeping everything secret and not talking about things outside of the family or even within the family. It was very, you know, very rare that we actually kind of spoke between each other about stuff that was happening, Um, you know, unless he was like not there and we'd just be like on the down low, how are you going? Um, But, yeah, so in a way I kind of consider that to be grooming because, you know, when you hear the term grooming you think like, you know, someone's, um, you know, coming into your life and they're being extra nice and buying you gifts and all this kind of thing. But I consider the fear and intimidation that he was using as part of grooming because in the future, once, you know, the sexual abuse started, that was the main thing that kind of kept me from being able to speak up. Um, 
And yeah, so I feel like that kind of grew from when I was very young, you know, being told like, don't say anything about what's happening with other people, like what stays, what happens in the family stays in the family type thing. Um, and yeah, so like, you know, I wouldn't tell anyone was what was happening at home. Um, no one knew what was going on. I did have friends sleep over sometimes and like stuff would go down. I'd just be like, oh, like, don't worry about it. Let's just go watch a movie kind of thing. And um, so like, you know, I guess people were starting to see things, but, you know, obviously what can we do? We're all just a bunch of kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of consider that, um, yeah, that secrecy and um, fear and intimidation tactics that he was using as a form of control and grooming. Um, and yeah, so that violence was occurring throughout my entire childhood from as early as I can remember. And it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 when the sexual abuse started. Um, and I don't know for sure exactly what age I was, um, but I like remember what I was wearing and like looking back on old photos, I've been able to work out it was around that age and, you know, what I was doing at school and stuff like that. Um, so what actually happened was um, my parents had a TV in their bedroom and they had like a DVD and VCR combo set up in there. And um, I had all of these VCR tapes that I'd taped movies from TV onto and I used to watch them all the time. Um, so one afternoon I was in there watching these videos and um and I stayed in there till quite late and I actually fell asleep while I was watching the movies. Um, so I was like fully dressed in my regular clothes, hadn't gotten ready for bed or anything like that. And I'd fallen asleep in there. And then at some point after that, mum came to bed and she just let, let me sleep there. And at this point in time, um, idiot was going out and partying all the time, you know, going out with his friends all night long and drinking and doing drugs and all that sort of stuff. He usually wouldn't come home until very early hours of the morning or sometimes not even at all. Um, so I think that's why she wasn't too concerned that I was going to sleep there because he probably wouldn't be there anyways. Um, so yeah, I was sleeping there. Mum let me sleep there. And then very, very early hours of the morning, he came home and you know, being the inconsiderate asshole he is, he was making lots of noise and woke us up. So I like opened my eyes and looked around. I noticed that like really early morning, like it was dark, but I could still just kind of make out stuff in the room. Um, and then because I was tired, I'd stayed up late. I just closed my eyes and tried to go back to sleep. And um, yeah, he climbed into the bed in between me and my mom and um I think he must have been, you know, trying something with her because I heard her say, like, no, stop, Shona's in here. We can't do that. Um, and, like, lots of shuffling and commotion. And, um, yeah, that happened a couple of times until finally he was just sort of like, oh, fine, and, like, rolled over really heavily and was, like, clearly annoyed about it. Um, and then after a little while he reached out and um, started touching my breasts. And in that moment, like I just felt like all of my insides turned to concrete 
everything just felt like it dropped and I, I was frozen pretty much. I felt like I couldn't move and I couldn't speak. And um, like I was just, yeah, just in a real state of shock and um, didn't really know what to do. In my head I was saying, no, stop, get up, run away. Um, but, yeah, my brain and my body just weren't connected in that moment, um, which I now know is very normal for for people to experience during these moments. Um, but, yeah, so he was touching my breasts and then after a while he grabbed my hand and he put it on top of his penis above the pants and I could feel that he had an erection. And, um, you know, in my head I'm going, no, stop, get up, run away, like just over and over again, just this chant. But nothing was happening. Um, and then finally, like I did sort of like a little movement of my head, like as if I was waking up and um, he quickly moved my hand up and put it on his stomach. Um, and I was like, okay, like, you know, he stopped now. This, hopefully this is it. He knows like it's me and I, I might be waking up. Hopefully this is the end. Um, but then after a few minutes, he put my hand back down again. But this time um, he pulled his tracksuit pants down and put my hands on his penis and started using it to masturbate with. Um, and yeah, again, just in my head, just that chant, no, stop, get up, run away over and over again. <laughs> and, um, but you know, it wasn't working. And, um, yeah, so that went on for a little while. He was still touching my breasts. Um, I think the kind of movement must've woke my mother up a bit because, um, she said something at this point I like cracked my eyes open just a tiny little bit and it, it like so I still looked asleep but I could just kind of see and I could see across his chest and I could see my mother's back she was facing away from us and um she sort of turned her head so her face was facing the ceiling um and she said what are you doing and he said nothing and like really angry and she just like rolled back over and went back to sleep and, um, yeah, at that moment I was like, fuck, like <laughs> if only like, you know, she, you know, she saw or something, you know, this would stop. Um, but yeah, so he continued on, um, yeah, breast masturbation. And then after a while he reached down and grabbed hold of the belt loop on my jeans and was trying to pull them down. But, you know, it's really hard to just pull jeans off like that. So they weren't coming down. So he tried to do the button, but he was fumbling, couldn't get it. So he just gave up and went back to touching my breasts and pinching them and stuff. And, um, yeah, I don't know how long it lasted for, but it felt like forever in the moment. And, like, yeah, just in my head I'm going, no, stop, get up, run away, and then help me at some point as well. Like yeah. just this constant little chant in my head waiting for it to stop um yeah I don't remember if you know he ejaculated or anything like that I just remember at some point my mom got up to get ready for the day and at that point it was like all my body started working and I just sprung up and ran straight to my room and um just I just spent the whole day in there after that and I was just in a state of shock most of the time. And then I'd go to crying and then, you know, back to just 
dissociating, I guess, is a good word to use. Um, But yeah, that kind of really changed things for me. It sent me on a completely different path, as you would imagine. Um, Because, you know, obviously I'd been experiencing all of these other violent things, but then this was like a different level, different level. Um, But yeah, so after that incident... Um, he started coming into my bedroom at night times and using the computer because our family computer was in my room and he would watch porn and masturbate while I was in bed asleep. Um, I remember the very first time that it happened because obviously I was on super, super high alert now after this assault had happened. Um, I was asleep in my bed and I heard like a kind of... um, you know, I heard someone in my room and I just bolted straight off of my bed and like my heart was racing. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And um, yeah, I saw him sitting at the computer and he was like, don't worry, it's just me, lay back down. And then I laid back down and yeah, I heard him watching the video, doing his thing. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Like I was just laying there in complete fear. Like, you know, is he going to come over here? You know, what's going to happen? Um, but yeah, from that point, it started happening so often. Like I can't even count how many times it happened. It was just happening nearly every single night. I estimate between three to seven nights a week up until my parents separated when I was 17. So yeah, I would say roughly four or five years of that happening consistently. It was so consistent that I actually asked for an iPod for my birthday um, and I got an, I got an MP3 player and I would have it under my pillow and make sure that it was fully charged so that when I'd hear him come in, I could just stick it in and not have to hear anything. Or sometimes I'd just go to sleep with it playing so that it would try to reduce me waking up at all. Um, cause that was a big thing too. Like I was losing so much sleep <laughs> and you know, that was affecting my day. I was really struggling at school. Um, and yeah, just in general, my mental health was severely declining. Um, you know, I was having um, suicidal thoughts, self-harming, um, and, you know, it was just a really, really tough few years. Um, yeah, part of, the, part of the self-harming also, I, was, I developed an eating disorder, um, which I've only just very recently gotten a handle on because I didn't consider it to be an eating disorder um, until I had a very frank conversation with my doctor. Um, But yes, there was just so many things, so many things. And I was, you know, basically starving myself all day long. And then at nighttime I would have dinner, but that was it all day. And, um, on top of that, I was also exercising a lot. Like I was going running or bike riding every single day. And um, I also played netball for a period of time. So I was doing, you know, training and games and stuff like that. And, you know, I just felt so sick all the time. And, um, you know, even when I was at the point of like fainting or nearly fainting, I was like, I'm fine. Like, you know, this is just a thing that happens. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was just, really, really hard. And then that kind of led into me kind of putting myself into lots of unsafe situations. Um, 
because I just, I didn't care. You know, I wasn't safe anywhere. So I was like, who gives a fuck? I'll go to this rave with like 21 year olds. Who cares? (laughs) Um, You know, just, you know, dying in a field, it's fine. Who cares? I just had no kind of regard for my safety or like looking after myself. Um, And yeah, it was, it was a lot, (laughs) especially, you know, during that kind of high school period where that stuff is so hard already without all these other layers of trauma on top of that. So, you know, it was just a really fucked up time, (laughs) if I'll be honest. (laughs) And so many people who have experienced trauma, whether it be domestic, sexual, whatever that might be, so many people who have experienced that end up with self-harm and end up with eating disorders. And a lot of that comes down to, from what I've learned from other people and from what I've heard experts say, is it's a way for you to personally gain control back over something in your life. Because, you know, you can understand from your younger self, you've got no control over your family dynamic. You've got no control over what happens in your bedroom. You've got no control over yourself or everything is chaotic. Everything is difficult. There is heartache and hurt at every part of your life. And then you've had somebody then sexually assault you and then continue that offending. And I'm going to make it very clear as well. That is sexually offending. And I know that we'll get into that later, but for him to come into your room and masturbate consistently, knowing that you're there listening, like this isn't um, in any way, just a crossing the line type situation. This is, he knows that you can hear it's a power, it's a control thing, it's a it's a way to make you scared or fearful. It is it's a horrible horrible thing to continue to do as well and full well knowing. And I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe the the sexual assault that happened in the bed and that situation together as one because your response in freezing is the most common response and so many victim survivors who have spoken to me personally have have had the sentiment that they somehow blame themselves because they didn't react. And I remember I was uh, reading this amazing book. I forget now what it's called. Invisible Women. I'll have to link it in the show notes for this episode, but it basically goes into a lot of statistics um, on how the world is made for men. And one of those examples is that the fight or flight response was completed with a 100% male demographic. So if they were given a scary stimuli, they would either fight or flee. For women who have been subjected to abuse and trauma most of our lives, that comes into street harassment, that comes into um, being told different things like be scared of men, don't go into a stranger's area. Like we've been conditioned our entire lives to fear men and to know that for yourself as well, that there, this man specifically has and consistently has shown that he's violent and aggressive, your response is never going to be to fight back. You know that you can't. You know that you're not going to win. So this freeze or this compliance is because it is your body's best way. It's your body's way of telling you that it is the best way that it knows to survive the situation. And again, we talk about victim survivor as a terminology. Survivor is there because this is a situation where 
you are in so much danger that other people haven't survived. And it's not to be understated what you've gone through here. And I just feel like there's going to be people listening that are really going to resonate with that. And I wanted to overstate not only the danger you were in, but the freeze response as well and how significant his actions are and that we should be focusing on the actions of him against his daughter and not the actions of the victim and whether or not they ran away or not. And I just wanted to to say that to you. Yeah, definitely. And I think it comes back to what I mentioned about the grooming. Um, You know, there were a handful of times where I, you know, stood up to him or said something back to him and then I'd get the beating in my life. So, you know, I knew that there were consequences for trying to stick up for myself. So, yeah, you know, it just didn't feel possible. It didn't feel possible. And that's also why I didn't feel comfortable coming forward and disclosing because, you know, he had kind of ingrained that, um, you know, I'm the man of the house. I'm in control of everything. The women and the children should be seen, not heard. You all step in line kind of thing. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, you know, if I was to say something... I'm like, well, I'm at risk of getting hurt. My family are risk of getting hurt. Um, you know, what if no one believes me? And then it just ends up being hell times a million. 
So, you know, there was just a lot of layers to it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was difficult and it did take a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that, you know, it wasn't my fault that I didn't get up and leave. It was his fault for doing it. Um, but yeah, it, it does take some work because it's for some reason, just a natural response to be like, well, why didn't I stop this? Why didn't I just get up and leave? And, you know, you're very self-critical and putting the blame on yourself when it shouldn't be there. It's completely misplaced. It needs to stay with the perpetrator. And I think that's really important for people to remember and to, yeah, yeah, keep reminding themselves because it isn't your fault um, that someone hurt you. It is misplaced. And that is as well true of the power dynamic in those situations. Yes. So not only you've got the physical, okay, but you've got the mental, the emotional, every other aspect, this person is a dominant in the house, in the environment. And I think it is really important to recognize the power and control difference too. As a child, you didn't have really much that you could do. And the fear of disclosing is something that most victim survivors can really understand as well. But the consequences for you could have been fatal. It could have been very, very physical. It could have been so many different things. And think of your siblings and your mum in the same environment. What's the likelihood that in that space at that time that they would believe you or that they would feel also that they could do something about it? And when you live in it like you have been, you understand the whole undercurrent of what's going on. And I think you've just made the best choices at your disposal at your disposal in those given times. And it's not a we're not happy about it, obviously. But I think that you're probably right in every decision that you've made. Well, you are right in every decision that you've made because you're here. But I just think it's really important as well that your intelligence, that your inner instinct would already know all of those things consciously or subconsciously. You've weighed everything up and you know that your best chance of survival or to get away from this is to is to freeze to comply and then to say nothing. Yes, yeah, 100%. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it was going on for so many years um, up until about 2011 was when things started to really, really escalate, like with the violence and everything. Um, so, you know, he was going out all the time, um, getting drunk, getting high, and then coming home and just absolutely trashing the entire house. And, um, yeah, like you wouldn't know what would set him off. I heard like multiple arguments that, you know, my mum wouldn't sleep with him and like things like that that would set him off. And he would just go absolutely ballistic and start throwing things around the house and like having just a full-blown adult tantrum is what I would call it. <laughs> um So, yeah, like there was all these things going on. It was escalating um, and I had gone to my friend's house for a sleepover and I got a call in the morning from my mom saying, I need to come pick you up. Something's gone down. I was like, okay, what's going on? Um, So she picked me up and she told me that um, uh, at some point, either overnight or early hours of the morning, he had strangled her and... um, she said that she was at that point where she was like losing her vision and like was just like, oh my God, like my kids are about to grow up without a mom kind of. She was at that point. Um, 
And my sister actually came in because she heard something going on and like screamed at him, told him to get off of her. Um, so yeah, it got to that point where it was reaching really, really dangerous levels. Um, and shortly after this incident occurred, like we went to the police and everything like that. Like she has all her photos still of all the bruises and everything. Um, I don't actually know what happened with that. I'm sure there was some kind of like violence order or something that the police made her put out on him, but I don't actually think it went through actual court and he was charged for anything, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure. Um, But shortly after that incident, um, me and my brother, who's a year younger than me, we were driving home with mum in the car one day and we just sort of said to her, look, we need to go. Like we can't be here with him anymore. It's getting bad. Um, You know, we can't handle it and we just need to go. And I like to think that that was a catalyst um, and then like a moment for her to be like, shit, okay, maybe we should go. But, you know, who knows? Um, A little bit after that, we did actually move. Um, At this point, um, they were technically together, but I feel like she was planning the move uh, without him. So it got to the point where she was like looking at houses and stuff. And he's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to move into this one. And then it got to the point where we got accepted for it. And then we were moving and she was like, oh, by the way, you're not coming. And he was like, what? (laughs) Um, So yeah, we moved um, and it was actually really good. It was close to our high school um, and like just a really good spot. But, um, you know, even though they technically separated, it didn't stop the flow on of abuse after that either. So he was obviously still trying to grapple for control um, and, you know, really trying to manipulate the entire situation. I don't know the extent of what was happening with my mom, but he did really um, hone in on me at that point um, because, you know, obviously um, that's a vulnerable time. Moving house, parents separating, all the violence and everything, the sexual abuse, all of that. Finishing up high school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually I was just starting my HSC when that all happened. So that year was just fucked, (laughs) but yeah, we got there. We got there eventually. Um, But yeah, he was really um, playing on my emotions because, you know, obviously I really care about my family and I care about people in general. So he was really playing on that victim card and, you know, he would be calling me constantly or texting me and just saying things like, um, you know, I I can't believe she's taken all my kids away. Uh, Why would she do this to me? Um, You know, and even going as far to say, I'm going to kill myself. And like all of these really like emotive things that as a teenager, you don't want to hear from somebody. Um, So he was just kind of pulling out all the stops to keep me in his kind of grips um, and sort of using me as a middleman too, because, you know, he's saying all these things and trying to turn me against my mom and rebelling against her. And, you know, it was just a really tough situation. It went on for such a long period of time. And, um, 
you know, it got to a point where I was just so fed up with it. And I went to mom and I was like, please help me. Like, what do I do? Um, and I can't remember if she contacted him and told him to stop or if she helped me like draft a message to him telling him to stop. Um, but yeah, I did that. And like, she was like, just stay firm. Like, don't re- respond to anything that you don't like want to take on, you know, only respond to things if he asks about you or like, you know, actual things that you would want to talk to him about. I was like, okay. And that was really good advice. I've used that a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he did keep trying for a period of time, but eventually it did subside. Um, and yeah, at some point, I think it was around, um, oh, maybe a year or a couple of years later, he, um, partnered up with someone new and she had children from a previous relationship. Um, so we had new step siblings, um, which was exciting. (laughs) Um, but also at the same time, I had all of this worry about them because I knew the kind of person that he was and, knew all the kinds of things that they must be going through. And I was just hoping to God that, you know, he wasn't sexually abusing them too. Um, And it was really hard because I so badly wanted to say something, but at the same time, I just felt like I still couldn't. I was just still so stuck in that fear and, um, Yeah, it was really, really hard, but it did play on my mind all of the time. And then um, in 2017, I found out I was pregnant, um, which was super exciting. And I found out that I was having a girl. And although I was so, so excited to be having my first child, I was just really um, just terrified, I guess, because, you know, I still had that contact with him. And, you know, you just get that overwhelmingly motherly instinct to want to protect them. And, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I don't want him to have anything to do with her. Don't want him to look at her, nothing. But I knew that, like, to make that happen, I would have to tell people about what happened to me. So I was really, really at war with myself at this point. And, um, it brought up a lot because up until that point, I'd been pushing it down, pushing it away, pretending like it didn't happen, didn't exist. Um, so everything was really resurfacing and manifesting in pretty extreme ways. So I was having um, like panic attacks and flashbacks during the day. And then at nighttime, I was having these really, really awful nightmares and waking up in hysterics. And um, it continued on for a period of time, uh, weeks or months. I'm not really sure, but it was a long time, just every single day and night. And, um, yeah, at one point, um, you know, I woke up from another nightmare and I just picked up my phone. I called my mom and I told her. (laughs) And it was crazy. Like, it was so nice. She, She believed me straight away, which was amazing. And I'm so, so grateful for Um, and then, yeah, she's like saying, I'm sorry. Like, I wish I knew earlier, I would have done something. And, you know, even though it's not her fault or anything like that, you know, that's just, I feel like that's a very normal response from a (laughs) mum when you hear something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so at that point I was still pregnant and, um, I slowly just kind of started telling my siblings. Um, it took a long period of time because I didn't want to just 
call them and tell them over the phone or send them a text or something like that. I wanted to be able to sit down and tell them in person because I felt like that was a bit nicer than, than just dropping a bomb from like three hours away and being like, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because we were all living in different areas, it took quite a while to get them all eventually. But I was slowly making my way through telling everyone. Um, and, you know, it was it was good. Everyone believed me straight away. And I think that's partly because they already knew the kind of person that he was and, you know, witnessing all the same violence and all of that kind of stuff. It wasn't that much of a leap to be like, well, yeah, he can do this too. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice. And everyone, yeah, was so amazing. Um, I moved to Newcastle after, oh, no, wait, no, let's not go there yet. So I gave birth in Grafton um, and I think Idiot had started to clock on that I was kind of pulling back a little bit because I had been trying to like, you know, avoid seeing him as much and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I had my baby and um, he started really harassing me. And was like, you know, calling me all the time, texting me all the time, being like, when can I come see her? When can I come meet her? Um, And I'd just be like making every excuse under the sun for him not to come. (laughs) And um, I had also moved into a new house and I hadn't told him where I lived yet. Um, And I also hadn't told my family not to tell him yet. So my youngest brother was coming to visit me and meet the baby and he happened to be with idiot at the time. So he was like, Oh, I'll give you a lift. So he sneakily made his way over with my brother and just turned up and um, yeah. So he did actually get to meet her and I was just so anxious the entire time. I was like, don't fucking touch her. I was like, just like sitting there cringing. Um, And then after that, he, now that he knew my address, he just started showing up all of the time unannounced. And it would always be during the day when he knew that my partner wouldn't be home and I was going to be there alone. So I would just sit in my room pretending I wasn't home and hoping so badly that she wouldn't cry or make a noise so that he knew that I was actually home. And, you know, I'd just be sitting there waiting it out until he'd give up and leave. And it was just so fucked. Like it was happening all the time. And I just felt so overwhelmed and unsafe. And, um, yeah, it just was a lot. And then eventually we decided to move again. Mm. So we moved and I didn't tell him my address. And this time I told my family straight away, do not tell him where I live because I don't want him to show up. Um, and they they did it, which was good. Um, but yeah, he was really starting to realize that I didn't want anything to do with him. And so he was calling me constantly. Like there was a day where I had like 15 missed calls from him and stuff like that. Like it was just insane. And sending me all these text messages being like, why are you being so nasty? Blah, blah, blah. Like, why won't you tell me where you live? And then I wrote him a message back being like, I need some space. Can you just not contact me for a little bit and I'll contact you when I'm ready. And he was like, if that's what you got to do, then you do you. But then the very next day he called me again and I didn't answer it. And he accidentally left me a 10 minute long voicemail of him just completely roasting me to whoever he was with 
saying that I'm such a spiteful bitch and he can't believe that I can be so ungrateful and just all of these nasty things and even saying the same things about some of my siblings because they, the ones that I told had also started to kind of pull back and limit contact um, as well, which is fair enough. And um, yeah, so he just 10 minute long, this entire rant. And then I listened to the whole thing and I messaged him back and I was like, thank you so much for that voice message. It was lovely hearing how spiteful and horrible you think I am. Never contact me ever again. I don't want anything to do with you. You've hurt me in every possible way a person can hurt someone and I'm done. And he wrote back and said, um, oh, my darling daughter, I can't believe you could be so nasty. And I just wrote, leave me alone. And he was like, don't come to my funeral. <laughs> and I was like, I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> Literally, I was planning on throwing a party that day. Thank you. That what an idiot as well. Like he, he, he is an idiot. Don't come to my funeral. Like I've just cut off contact. So yeah, I know. Uh, that's kind of the plan. The, the way he thinks that that was like a mic drop is so funny to me. <laughs> yeah, you're like okay, <laughs> but Cheers. I did want to quickly go back as well because I think yeah, sure. Some of this behavior of his is worth reflecting on too. Like when you said that you know he was constantly calling you and talking to you about like I can't believe I've lost all of my my children and she's taken away the children. Blah blah. blah. There's no self-reflection there of his own actions. And also the fact that he's calling you is quite creepy, almost as if he doesn't see you as one of his children. Yeah. And that's quite a manipulative thing as well, I think. It just sounds like it's it's quite gross and it's quite manipulative. But there's one thing that you said when you were um, going through that where he had stated that he might be suicidal as well, and I think that we need to underline that as well as the the fact that he was choking your mother. We know that their hands around the throat, the moment that ha- that happens, the the likelihood of femicide increases by seven times. Yeah. And then the the line between homicide and suicide is so thin. And whether it was a grab for attention or whether it was a genuine disclosure of wanting to end his life, either of those things are just major risk factors for somebody to be very harmful in the future. So in my head, I'm going through like a checklist of things that people would utilize in a risk assessment screening. And I think that it's just worth reflecting on the behaviors that might have seemed annoying and innocuous. And for anybody listening, if this is happening now, especially these later behaviors where he's stalking you, he's finding ways to locate you. He's using fear and intimidation. He's using these weird, like, slights to try and get at you by calling you my darling daughter why are you being so nasty like nasty is such a uh, term used for women and such a it's like being a bitch or you know it's it's such a way to bring you down a peg but to try to control you in a way yeah calling you his darling daughter like I just feel this man's level of audacity is through the roof it is it is it blows the roof off the place it's it yeah. was yeah it was a lot and especially like you know with going back and him you know saying I'm so I'm going to kill myself all this stuff I was 17 when he was saying these things like what am I supposed to do I don't know <laughs> like you know it's just crazy and like you said it it did feel like he wasn't talking to me as his daughter he was using me as either like a therapist or a friend or someone that 
you know, isn't a child, <laughs> but I was still a child at that time. Yeah, Absolutely. Especially one that's been abused for so long under the hands of this one person. Yeah. And I think it just because I would consider this, you know, like a near miss, you know, for you all to be now safe from him, I think, because it's just so insidious his behaviours and how extensive and prolific they were. Um. Yeah, I think it's just I just want people listening as well that this are, these are the things that you can learn from too when we go, am I in danger or can I leave? And, you know, it's not about telling people to leave. It's about people recognising that, you know, yes, you might still love the person, but the abuse probably won't stop. So it's about coming up with a plan to leave rather than yeah. just leaving. It is the most dangerous time. Um, and I think this, yeah, stalking behavior is just absolutely horrific like you're a brand new mum you should not be hiding out within your house and and especially how insidious is it of him to come over during the day when he knows that your partner's not there it feels like there's an intimidation aspect to that as well which is stalking is a an actual offense it should like he could have probably been charged that's you know let's see if um <laughs> if police and stuff will respond to things like that as well, but it it, yeah. it is stalking. No, you should not have to worry about people rocking up to your house unannounced and making you feel unsafe in your own home, especially with a newborn. Yeah, it was, it was such, such a vulnerable time, you know, being a new mom, trying to navigate all of those challenges and just so emotional. <laughs> and then, yeah, having this person just rocking up all the time and like banging on the door and like calling out to you, like it's, not not good it was not a good time but yeah so we moved to that other house didn't tell him the address we only stayed there for literally like three months and I was like I can't be here anymore so we up and moved to Newcastle um, which has been amazing Um, shortly after we moved to Newcastle um, he took it upon himself to make a disclosure to my youngest brother because I hadn't talked to him yet. So he was one of the last few to know. I'd kind of been working my way down from oldest to youngest. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But he was just 18. He'd been 18 for like six months. Um, And, you know, he called me after visiting him one time. He was just completely distressed and he was like, you know, he's just told me something is it true? And I'm like, well, what did he say? And he said that he sat him down and was like, well, you're a man now. You deserve to know this. Um, You know, when Shona was younger, I fucked up and, you know, I was on a lot of drugs and I didn't know what I was doing. I thought she was your mom and I I made a big mistake. And um, which all is just a complete joke. Honestly, it's a joke. But I was like, you know, yes, something did happen, but I don't believe it happened that way. And then there was also the other stuff that happened afterwards with the computer. Um, And, you know, I was just like, I'm so sorry you had to find out this way. I didn't want that for you. And, um, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. But I thought that was pretty interesting how he was trying to take control of the situation by, you know, trying to put his foot in. And um, one thing he actually said during the conversation as well was, um, you know, I think she's been telling everyone um, and, you know, if this was going to come out, it should have been me to say something, which what the fuck? Anyways, um, 
again, the audacity. The audacity. Power and control complex, like to try to take control of the narrative of his actions over like maybe the most vulnerable in your sibling group being the youngest. Like that's, yeah. Yeah, it was it was really, really bad. And I just, I felt so horrible for him because he didn't deserve to be in that position and feel that way. And I just felt so sorry for him. Um, but yeah, again, he believed me straight away. Um, and yeah, which was, which was nice, but it was just horrible how it had to kind of eventuate in that way. Um, and yeah, from that moment, pretty much everyone in my immediate family knew at that point, except for my very youngest sister. Cause she was like 10 or something, 11. Um, so I was like, I really don't know how to like talk to her about this. Um, and I didn't actually tell her until I reported it to police because obviously she was going to find out that, you know, he was being investigated and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so at that point I was kind of struggling mentally again just with everything and I really wanted to get back into counselling because um, even until then I hadn't, the first time I'd ever disclosed was when I disclosed to my mum. I'd had counselling before and I'd never talked to them about it. I'd only talked about the violence um, so I actually found, uh, it was in a Facebook group. Someone had put up a post, like, you know, I've been sexually assaulted. What do I do? Kind of thing. And like, there were so many wonderful comments and people offering advice. And one of them was a link to New South Wales victim services, free counseling. So I clicked on that and was looking at it and I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. Um, and I applied for it and it's like an automatic thing. It comes back straight away with a, um, acceptance thingy and um that's how I got in touch with my current counselor who's amazing um and I've been seeing her for a few years now but um yeah from there I was starting to consider reporting to police um but yeah still I was just really nervous and I also didn't really know what that involved so I started googling it and just researching what does it look like to you know report stuff to police and make a statement Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And after reading through that, I was like, fuck no, absolutely not. <laughs> There's no so way hard. in hell. <laughs> yeah. And it's like we laugh about it now, but it is a huge barrier. It is a yeah. huge, huge barrier how and what the process is. But, yes, continue. Yeah, I was just like, there's no way I'm going to just rock up to a police station and be like, hey, I have some crazy shit to talk about. Like, there was just no way I was going to do it. I was like, absolutely not. And then um, I was wondering, like, if there was a way I could still make the statement but just remain anonymous Um, because that was one thing that I was worried about. If I reported it to police and he found out, then, you know, he would just start going crazy again and he'd be you know, trying to intimidate me and trying to contact me again. And I just finally gotten him to stop. So, um, yeah, I researched that and I was like anonymous police report. And that's how I came across SARO, which is the New South Wales police sexual assault reporting options. Um, and it's not a formal statement. Um, it was just a form that I've downloaded, filled out, and then you send it to police and it basically just sits on file. Um, it gives them data and statistics and, if someone else comes forward with a similar crime, they said that they could contact me to see if I would be interested in doing a formal statement at that point. But submitting it doesn't start an investigation or anything like that. So I was like, okay, that I can manage. <laughs> um, so I was able to fill that out. I just did it in my room by myself, um, filled it out. And then at the point of submitting, because you had to email it, I had it attached and my email drafted up. I'm like, oh, should I do this or not do this? And it was just a really big battle. And I was like, no, nah, just push it. So I click send, sent it off. And then I just was just sitting there in a state of like, holy shit. Like, what have I just done? Um, and Got yeah, I was, kind of moment, was it? Yeah. Was it like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh or- my God. <laughs> Um, even though, you know, nothing was going to come of it, but I was just like, whoa, like I actually just did something. And, um, but there was like still the first like action this... that you've ever taken on it. Like the first, yeah. like you've, you've done these smaller things that are huge by disclosing, but yeah, I can't imagine that like churning stomach or like really like scared kind of feeling like this is now you've told somebody where something might happen. Yes. Or, um, yeah. So the sorrow I think as well, it's worth stating, yeah, it's not a formal reporting, but it gives you an option to, and you can leave it there for a period of time if you want to address it later, which is wonderful. I think it's a yes. great way to preserve evidence. It's a great way to preserve narratives. Um, it's a great way to have something on record. Um, yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to do that. I just, just wanted to highlight as well. Like I can just imagine <laughs> that moment for you being like, oh, my word. Like, Yeah, I literally like slammed my laptop closed and I was just sitting there just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I did that. And, yeah, I was still just really, really scared that he was somehow going to find out that I'd done this because I did decide to put my name on it and my contact details Um, and, um, yeah, I actually wrote on the form and in the email, I was like, please do not let him see this. (laughs) Like I have a fear of my, for my safety. Um, you know, please keep this confidential as possible. Um, even though obviously they're not going to see and be like, oh, let's go show this guy. But I was just so scared. I had to reiterate twice (laughs) that I didn't want him to see it. Um, 
And then, yeah, after that, I did kind of sit with it and like, you know, I was kind of at war with myself again. I'm like, have I done everything that I possibly can do? Should I do everything that I possibly can do to try and stop him? Because he was still with um, his partner who had children and, you know, the youngest was coming up to the same age that I was when the sexual abuse happened. So, you know, I was really, really scared for them and it was really, really hard. I was like, I want to be able to protect them, but, you know, at the same time, this is really hard and scary. But, yeah, I sat with it for about six months and then after that six months I was like, you know what, let's just do it. What's the worst that can happen? (laughs) He'll try and text me some nasty things and I'll delete it Um, because, yeah, I wasn't living there anymore. I was like five hours away. He can't just show up on my doorstep without, um, you know, being a giant hassle for him. Hi, fam. It's just me popping in here to wrap up part one with Shona. We will be back next week with part two, so please tune in then. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.